Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is an idea that is planted so deeply in the heart of the gospel, so deeply in the heart of our faith, that sometimes we miss it. This idea connects us to the heart of God. This idea is revealed in, in, the, in the teaching, in the ministry, and the life of Jesus. This idea is something we experience in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the idea is this. That God did not create anyone for insignificance. God did not create anyone for insignificance. That means that every one of us is created with significance and value and worth. I think it's one of the most difficult things for us to grasp that we are created by God for significance and that God is continually trying to help us see that and understand that. We all wrestle with insecurities. We all wrestle, we all question ourselves. We all wonder, do I have any worth or value? At the heart of the gospel, the answer is a resounding yes. And that means that God wants a personal, intimate, growing relationship with every single one of us as individuals. He wants a relationship with you, and 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 he wants a relationship with with me. He wants to, us to know the personal nature of relationship with him as an individual. You see that all throughout the scriptures. God is continually connecting himself with human beings, with individuals. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He connects himself with Adam and Eve in the garden at the very beginning. He connects himself with Noah. He connects himself with Moses and, and Joshua and David. You see Jesus connecting himself with individuals. Zacchaeus and the Roman centurion and Joseph and Mary are connected to God. And Paul is connected to God. And all the disciples are individually connected to God. And on and on it goes at the heart of the scriptures. And people make personal decisions, individual decisions about following God. Maybe the clearest one of those is in Joshua at the end of that book as Joshua is preparing to leave, he's about to die and he's giving the people the last word and he says, choose this day whom you will serve. And then he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a personal, individual response to God. And that's at the heart of the gospel. 
But one of the things that intrigues me in the context of that as you read the Scripture is that not only is, is the gospel about God's desire to have an individual personal relationship with every single one of his creatures, we also find in the Scriptures a continual stress upon interdependence of human beings. I remember uh, a number of years ago being awakened to how many times the Apostle Paul uses the words one another. Dozens of times Paul uses the phrase one another. I've just thrown out a few examples. Be members of one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, be united with one another, accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another, serve one another, carry one another's burdens, bear with one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, and on and on it goes. There is something in the writings of Paul that is declaring to us there is a dynamic that is not of the gospel, that's not just me and Jesus, but us and Jesus. And it's vital to understanding the gospel. You know, a lot of times in our Bibles, if you look at it, there are paragraphs or sections set apart, and they often will have headings on them. And one of them caught my eye the other day. It was in Acts chapter 2. It's the beginning of uh, the Holy Spirit's come. It's sort of the beginning of the church. And one of the headings said, the believers form a community. And that jumped out at me because I'm thinking, why would they do that? Because there's something innate in every single human being that says we need to be a part of a community. The Ten Commandments. You go back to that. It's intriguing to me that of the Ten Commandments, only four of them are about our relationship with God. Six of them are about our relationship with each other. And you go back to the Garden of Eden. You see at the very beginning... God creates all these things. He looks at it in the last day and says, this is awesome. I can almost see the smile on God's face as he's scanning everything he's made. And he says, man, I did good. I did really good. This is amazing. Awesome. And then you get to chapter 2 in the middle of that, and he steps back and says, wait a minute, there's a problem here. Something is not good. And he looks at this man he's made, and he says, it's not good for this man to be alone. I don't understand it. I don't even know how to talk about it correctly. But there's something in God saying that. And Adam didn't say that. And I didn't say that. God said it. Something in that phrase, it's not good for man to be alone, that says there is something about what it means to be a follower of God that is not just about our relationship with God. There is something significant in that of our relationship with each other. It is vital and significant to understanding what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's one of those things you see in the Old Testament when, uh, when you read through the stories of the nation of Israel. One of the things that's always kind of bugged me is that Israel rises and falls together. So you have the story in Joshua of the Battle of Jericho. And they, the walls come tumbling down and they go running in. And God says to them, don't take anything from Jericho. A guy named Achan takes a few things, that shiny things that he, are valuable, and he, he steals them. And what happens? The next thing, they go out to conquer another city that is no, not near the, the military power they have. And they lose that battle. They rise and fall together. 
David says, let's have a census of the people. It's, a, it's an act of rebellion against God. And what happens? A lot of Israelites lose their lives. When the kings are good, the nation flourishes. When the kings are evil, the nation suffers. There is this rising and falling together as a nation. And you know what? That sort of bugs me because I, there's something inside of me that says we ought to be able to just do that on our own. It's sort of the same feeling that I have and maybe you have about group projects. Right? I mean, you know, if you're a type A person, if you are an overachiever, if you're thinking, I might end up with a 4.0, the last thing you want is a group project. I don't want those losers pulling me down. Right? And something in us, we don't like to admit this part of it, but something in us says, I don't want them mooching off of my work. And most of us hate group projects. But the reality is, the kingdom of God looks an awful lot more like a group project than we think. And I think part of our problem with that, that we transfer into the gospel, is that something inside of us is still believing and still thinking and still wrestling with the idea that what God is looking for, what God is going to do with us, has to do with our grade and our performance. That that's what's most important to God. What kind of grade we're going to get when everything settles. But when you read the scriptures, what we keep finding over and over again is God says, this is about relationship. It's about your relationship with me. It's about your relationship with each other. And we have a hard time getting that out of our minds. We wrestle with that. We struggle with that. And yet, we see it over and over and over again. I think that's one of the reasons why we as a society and as a culture have a struggle with the church. And I read these studies all the time that more and more people are saying, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Because there's something in us that says, it's really just about me and Jesus. I don't know if that's part of our, you know, Western maybe even more narrowly American, independent, individualistic spirit. Sociologist Robert Bella once said that individualism lies at the very core of American culture. Anything that would violate our right to think for ourselves, judge for ourselves, make our own decisions, live our lives as we see fit, anything that would violate that is not only morally wrong, it's sacrilegious. And you know, you can see that, and you can know, you understand the wrestling that goes on within us about that. And yet, the gospel keeps calling us to be a body, to be the people of God, even as we are persons of God. We live in that tension. Now, sometimes we don't want to be a part of the church or we're hesitant about the church and being too much a part of the church because we see hypocrisy. You know, I always think that's funny when we say that because it it sounds as if we are not hypocritical ourselves. And that if we joined, that we wouldn't add to the hypocrisy. And the truth is, all of us are in one degree or another struggling with hypocrisy because none of us are perfect. And we're all wrestling. And the church is not, to, not a place where everybody is perfect. 
The church is a place where people come together who want a relationship with God in the context of relationship with each other. And that's the church. With all of its warts, with all of its struggles, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and every church has it. One of the things that has always interested me is when that nobody understands the corruption and the hypocrisy of religious life in first century Palestine like Jesus does. I mean, Jesus gets it. He knows. He says to them, you guys are hypocrites. You brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs, I think is what John the Baptist says. And yet, Jesus keeps going to the synagogue. And Jesus keeps going to the temple. When he had every right to say, I'm going to distance myself from those people because they're hypocrites. But he doesn't. Even Jesus realizes how vital that kind of relationship and the importance of being a part of the people of God is. And we need to grasp that. I mentioned a couple weeks ago John Case's book, Around the Table. And he addresses this in in a a part of the book. And he, he says, you know, we have this tendency to think that what we're really talking about, we just say, well, I'm part of the church universal. I'm part of the spiritual body of Christ. And he says, that's probably more than most times it's just a cop-out. What we're really saying is, I just want my faith to be about me. I don't want to get involved in the good, the bad, and the ugly of this group of people. But the reality is the gospel calls us to be a part of a concrete body of believers. The people we worship with. The people we learn with. The people we journey with. Because we need each other. We need the accountability of the church. We need the structure of the church. We need the voice of the church. We need each other to follow God. Because without the church, if it's just me and Jesus and I'm just doing my own thing, I will always choose the easiest road. I will always choose the quickest shortcut. I will run from any kind of challenge. And the church helps us to be willing to address those things and to connect with those things together. In Exodus 19, God says to the people, there's only one thing I'm looking for from you. I'm looking for obedience. Is if you will obey my word. One translation says, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant. And the message says, if you listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant. And the reason that's translated those ways is because that word obey is the word shema, which means to hear. It means to listen. And when you talk about listening, it's not just, well, I hear the sounds coming into my ears. It's paying attention. It's giving our minds to it. It's it's being a part of it. It's it's giving ourselves to it. That's what it means to listen. We've all been in relationships. We've all been in conversations where we can tell people are not paying attention to us. The sounds are going in their ears, but they aren't getting into their minds. An act of love is listening. An act of grace is listening. An act of compassion and caring is listening. And God is saying, I want you to listen to me. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to obey my covenant. God has said, I want to have covenant with you. I want to have a relationship with you as my people. I want you to reciprocate that. 
what he's really talking about is, I want you to give up yourself to me and my people. Because to listen is not just even to comprehend with our minds or to pay attention. You only pay attention, it only matters to you if you obey and do something about it. You respond. And God has come to us as the covenant God who says, you have nothing, there's nothing in you that's good enough for me to have covenant with you, but I created you for significance individually and corporately, and I want, you, I want to make you significant. And so he says, you're going to be my kingdom of priests, my special possession, my holy nation. Now, it takes individual priests to make a kingdom of priests. It takes holy people to make a holy nation. But it is interesting that God says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, my holy nation, my people. It strikes me that what God is saying is that the most profound witness of his, of his disciples in this earth is a corporate witness. The church. Being together. That's why we ought to we ought to think about how we're involved in the church. How are we connecting to a local body of believers? Many of you sitting here today are only here for a certain amount of time during the year. But you're here for a significant amount of time during the year. How are you getting connected? A small group. Some type of ministry. Something that would allow you to rub shoulders and make connections with people in a local church. Because now's the time we set patterns. Patterns what we do with our gifts. Patterns what we do with our money. Patterns what we do with our time and our energy. Now's the time where we set patterns. And it would thrill, nothing would thrill me more than when, when students graduate, that the first thing they want to do is find a church home to be involved in and to connect with. And to be a part of a local body of believers. Because that's the church. That's what God's called us to be. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation who represent God in this world to people who don't know him. To surrender ourselves. And sometimes the hardest surrender we have to make is to each other. To be a part of a small group and say, I'm, it may hurt my grade, but I'm going to help that person who's not getting it. And then to discover that there are times when we don't get it and other people become that very same thing for us. That's the body of Christ. You know, we've been talking about this loom and uh, loom, you know, things that are made on the loom through taking a piece of yarn or string or thread or something. You, have, you start with this. You've got to have something like this to work with. And this piece of yarn, I mean, I love this color and, and it's, it's made well. You can feel the tightness of it. You, you can see that it's a valuable piece of yarn. It has significance just by itself. It has significance. And you can't make anything on a loom without starting with this. You see, it's just impossible. It's just an empty loom otherwise. But you also can't make a tapestry out of just one string. The only way to make something like this is if you take a lot of strings and bring them together and in a sense 
relinquish them to the hands of the weaver. And if the string could talk, it would be saying, it might be saying to us, oh man, if I become a part of something like that, I'll lose my identity, I'll lose my significance. The opposite's true. It doesn't become insignificant. It becomes part of something even more significant, more beautiful, more useful. And that's what God is calling us to. And and the only way to do that is for the string, in that case, and for you and me in our cases, to surrender, to relinquish ourselves to the master weaver. You see, all of this, all that we're talking about today really comes back to the fact that this takes place in Mount Sinai. In the first two verses of Exodus 19, three times, Sinai is mentioned, and I think that's significant. Anytime you're reading scripture and you see something repeated like that, pay attention because the author is trying to tell us something. It's come, they've come back to Mount Sinai. And what's the significance of, of Sinai? Well, it's the place where God meets Moses in the burning bush. And, and it's the place where now the people have come back there and they're standing facing the mountain where God is. Not as a person, but as a, as a people. And Sinai is a place where, you, where God connects with an individual and his people. But there's even something more going on with that. When God connects with Abraham or with um, Moses and he meets him there in the burning bush, the most profound thing about that is not that God sends Moses to rescue his people. The most profound thing about that moment that Moses has with God is that God reveals himself to Moses. The word God is a generic term for deity. In that moment, God says to Moses, let me tell you who I am. He describes himself in the term that we now use as Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. And the name of God, this name of God is not just that's the name we call him, but it's his essence, his character, his nature. It's who he is. And he goes on to describe himself as a God of compassion and love and truth and mercy and grace. And now the Israelites have come back to the mountain and now they're going to get an even fuller, wider, deeper revelation of God as he gives them the law. See, we often think of the law that God gives them. We read through that and we think, this is so boring, all these rules that God has and it's all these demands that God's putting on them. Actually, the heart of the law is a description of who God is. Because when you read something that somebody writes... They're revealing themselves to you by what they write. When you read something, you can tell an awful lot about someone. You can tell about their passions, their desires, their interests. You can tell a lot about things, what they feel is significant when you read what people write, whether it's a book, an article, whatever the case may be. We reveal ourselves in what we write because who writes about something that they don't care about? You write about things because they're important to you and you're, they're, they're, you're passionate about them and you want other people to understand them in the same way. And that's what God is doing. And he's saying to the people of Israel, here's, here's my law, here's, here's my word to you. And yes, they're decrees, but really at the heart of them is a revelation of who I am, that I care about people, all people, particularly the people that you might not be inclined to care about. And I care about how you act Because I'm a holy God and I care about love because I'm a God who loves. 
And there is this covenant relationship with God that's revealed in the law. And that's why when you get to places like Psalm 119, the Israelites cry out in celebration of God's law because it's revealing the nature and the character of who God is. And obedience is not something God is looking to demand from us. Obedience is a response to God, a relinquishment of ourselves, a a joyful relinquishment of ourselves to the very nature and character of the one who has created us and calls us to be his people. Because his ultimate desire is that he takes individuals who have significance, which is all of us, And by surrendering ourselves to him, he makes beautiful things out of us. So we come to this table. And we come to this table as individuals and as the people of God. We come to this table because we come for Christ. And we see the very nature of God in this table who creates and loves and gives himself for us so that we can have a personal, individual relationship with God, but do it in the context of his church and his people. We celebrate it as his people. I don't know today if your struggle is, I don't really know that personal relationship with God. I've always just thought about the church. And maybe what you need to do today is to think about that personal relationship with God. But Maybe what you need to think about is, am I really committing myself to the people of God? Am I engaging myself with them? Because I want to be a part of something that's so much bigger than just me. I want to give God my significance in whatever way he wants to use it, whatever he wants to create out of it, with whomever he wants to join with me. Father, thank you so much for your blessings to us, the offer of your covenant to us, and your grace in our lives. Father, as we contemplate who you are, we are so grateful that you, that you want relationship with us individually, personally. But we also thank you for your church in which we are nourished and grow and develop. And we ask, Father, that you will place in each of our hearts a passion for this tension. Father, as we come to this table, we pray that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink individually and corporately, may it be food for our souls and nourishment and our weariness. We ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen.